On this edition of The Incomparable, we'll be discussing what may be my favorite TV show of all time. In fact, a lot of critics think that this is one of the greatest genre television series of all time. Um, maybe even one of the best TV series of all time. And I think you'll agree. I speak, of course, of the CW's groundbreaking Supernatural. <laughs> As if... Welcome one and all to the Incomparable Podcast. I am Jason Snell, your host. Today we have a strange, strange, strange topic, which is um, humor and comedy in uh, in kind of geeky, geeky culture and geeky media. So in honor of April 1st, the, the holiday that celebrates silliness and wackiness, um, I've asked uh, our, our esteemed panelists and also Scott McNulty to join us today. To discuss uh, humorous things, and uh, and uh, let's do that now. Scott McNulty, sign in, please. I refuse. Okay, I'll take that as a pass. Uh, <laughs> Serenity Caldwell, please present yourself. Hello, and reporting for duty. Excellent. Now that's how it's done, McNulty. Glenn Fleischman, <gasps> hello. I am a glow with radiation. I can see oh. you oh. from here. Too and, soon. And too soon. <laughs> <laughs> too soon. Irradiation humor. No, no, no. And no. Steve Lutz. Hey, how's it going? I look forward to talking about humor, thereby negating any possible humor content gonna, in this podcast. We're going to kill all the humor Ooh. until it's nice and dead. Oh, and for the record, I am also presenting myself right now. Thank you. I can Ooh. tell. As the, as the male baboon presents himself. Very much like that, yes. Okay, and and once again, coming back around, Scott McNulty. Uh, I have my <laughs> podcasting pants on, and I'm ready with the funny. Tactical podcasting pants. That's better. I recommend those. <laughs> we will accept that answer. I'm wearing my casual podcasting pants. Oh, oh. I, actually, isn't that like an oxymoron? Because you, you don't actually need pants to podcast. So why would what? you have podcasting pants? Maybe they're invisible. These are transparent Parents. Who am I forgetting? Who am I forgetting? There's somebody I'm forgetting. Oh, Dan Morin. Hello, Dan Morin. Why, hello, Jason Snow. It's good to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here on time, as always. I'm totally punctual. I'm thinking <laughs> podcasting chaps right now. That might be my. <laughs> oh, my. God. Yes, it is that kind of show. The Incomparable oh, After Dark. <laughs> um, hide the children. So, so. I, I have asked all of you, hopefully you've you've uh, come prepared with at least a couple of good examples of things that you just think are really funny. Um, I'm going to card out <laughs> an old one and a good one because um, some people may have missed this because it came from the 1970s, Board of the Rings. This is a Harvard Lampoon project. Um, some of the folks who then became, went on to become, uh, in fact, I think it was National Lampoon. I think it was some of the folks who had gone on to found National Lampoon. Uh, wrote this thing while still in college, if I recollect, and um, it's a it's a really pitch perfect parody of Lord of the Rings. Um, because remember how? Uh, because since we're all eighty years old, do you remember how when Lord of the Rings first came out? Now, Lord of the Rings, you know, oh, yes, big, I remember that. Remember like that? It was well, yesterday. so you know, the book came out in the fifties. <laughs> I was waiting it, down at the booksellers in my. <laughs> Cravat. I, I picked you as an ascot man. <laughs> Wearing your bright yellow cravat. You rode your bike with the one big front wheel and the tiny back wheel down to the bookseller. Ah, the penny farthing. Yes. Sipping on your egg cream the and whole I, way. Uh, and I brought my entire week's pay of 18 cents. The first show, <laughs> the first, when, when Lord of the Rings first came out in England and then, then after some tedious negotiation eventually came out in legitimate editions in the U.S., it was sort of seized upon. There was sort of this crowd of people into science fiction, and this was kind of part of that in fantasy, but it hit really hard in the counterculture movement. They rediscovered Lord of the Rings and gave it the popularity it has today, and of course they read it as this, you know, sort of this anti-war thing, even though they go to war, and all this sort of flower children, and magic is everywhere, and there's elves, and blah de blah de blah 
so Henry Beard and the National or the Harvard Lampoon come National Lampoon guys wrote this thing that basically just took the piss at everybody. It was sort of a big joke about the summer of love, and they made bad poetry, and some of it's just stupid and puerile. But um, I, I think it's funny as hell, and uh, you know, it's got it's got it's a great parody of the um, of the one ring uh, poem that Sauron uh, has apparently written and engraved because he's such a great poet in the rings. And it's, you know, this ring and no other is made by the elves who'd hawk their own mother to grab it themselves and so on. So it's, um, you know, there's the reference to the Zazu pits instead of the the uh, the pits in Mordor and Sorabon, or, or uh, Sor, uh, Sauron is Sorehead and um, so there's is, a lot of... Is this, yes. is this, this sounds like a Mad Magazine parody, actually. <laughs> it, you know, it's sort of as with as with some of the best parody, instead of uh, cleaving perfectly to the plot, it diverges a bit in order to be funnier than if it just was, you know, paragraph by paragraph, whatever. But, um, you know, there's Tim, <clears throat> you know, because we all, I know on this podcast, love Tom Bombadil so much, there's Tim mm. Benzedrine as the replacement Hey-ho, character. Hey-ho, Derrido. <laughs> and his wife Hashberry, of course. Uh, so I gotta, I gotta say, Glenn, th- the various wacky uh, names do not make me want to read it. Uh, it, it, really? it actually <laughs> makes me makes me a little afraid. Like it's again, like a how long is it? Too I, this also Thousands makes me afraid. Of pages long. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's actually it's well for it to quite... be truly a parody of Lord of the Rings, it would need to be like a million <laughs> pages long. But well, the nothing cur- much happens. The, uh, the paperback edition that is uh, oh actually maybe it is not in print. I'm looking here to see if there's oh. a vision in well, print. Well, that's a surprise. Our topic tonight is but things you can't get. <laughs> you can have this bright shiny ball that I am holding and waving in front of you. Uh, well, there's a book a version from 1993. It's not that expensive to purchase a copy, and just you know starts at one penny and it's 176 <laughs> pages. But I you know it's oh, gosh I should have I should have been more prepared with excerpts. But it's um the you know it's it's uh I think it's a big parody of the summer of love. It's a parody of the hippie culture. It's a parody of the sort of endless, boring description and uh, tedium and, say, the you know fifth part of the six parts of Lord of the Ring. And at the end, it's, you know, Sam and Frodo are hanging around the uh, pits and, um, and just sort of th- flick the ring over their finger into the, into the boiling mess. So it's um, – uh, I, I think it's I, I will say that I have at least seen a copy of Board of the Rings, having seen it on my brother's shelf way back in the day, although I never actually picked it up to read it because – Sitting right next to it was another book of collected National Lampoon works that were almost entirely uh, dick and fart jokes. So, <laughs> if you got to choose, I, I know, yeah, well, <laughs> so that's I know much it's, closer it's, to the source material of Lord of the Rings. Though. It's it's hard to pull yourself away from uh, Sorehead, but uh, <laughs> so 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 Steve, I'm gonna I'm gonna come to you now. Do you have a uh, Do you have a recommendation or a favorite that you'd like? To I w- I did want to 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 call out. Are you any of you guys familiar with the uh, online comic strip Akewood? No. no. Ah, oh, it's a, a brilliant piece of work, and oh, uh, yes. and it's uh, it's just gone on indefinite hiatus. So uh, oh, continue with the good. theme of of things you can't get. Anyway. All right, excellent. <laughs> now there's still an ex- extensive a backlog of. Of, of past strips on the web and it's unbelievably funny stuff fairly surreal it uh follows the exploits of a of a bunch of small animals who just kind of hang around there's a, a cat who wears a thong and a squirrel who does coke and drives a van um <laughs> there's a, a projectile vomiting creature of some kind and they basically just hang around and uh and say things all right yeah, that sounds that sounds great. They hang around and say things. I bet well, the beauty, the beauty of it is the uh, is the creator Chris Onstad's way with words. It's it's I, uh, once again I come bearing absolutely no examples to prove my point, but uh, you really would have to read it anyway to to truly appreciate it. But uh, yeah, he went on record on uh, I think last week sometime saying that he was pretty much burnt out and there would be no no further strips in the immediate future, which was very sad indeed. What's this trip called? It's called Akewood. A C H E Wood. All right. It's Ake been going wood. around since what ninety nine. I think so. Something. It's been over a decade. Yeah. Got a little yeah. tired, huh? And it's been it's been sporadic for the last year or so. Anyway, you could kind of sense that he was getting tired. But uh, yeah, the beauty of it is is really that his he has a phenomenal way with words, and his characters are kind of nuts. And he doesn't necessarily go for the gag based humor. He's he's uh, he's willing to just kind of float a bizarre punchline out there and let you kind of go your own way with it. 
which generally I find more amusing than the uh, I don't like Mondays style of comic. Ah, uh, I don't know what you're talking about there. I'm neither. But do I had I. some fantastic <laughs> lasagna earlier. Did today, you now? So yes, I did. <laughs> but so, it's on yes, Monday. It's a sad day indeed in uh, online humor. Garfield, actually, Garfield minus Garfield is a fantastic piece of work. The, the one where they take all the captions out and it's just John and Garfield no, staring no, at each take, other existentially. No, they take, no, they they take, take Garfield, Garfield out. out. So it's, it's just it, oh, it's that's John right. and that's he's right. crazy. Well, there's now one for there's now one for Peanuts too, where they take out the last panel. Oh, Three fun. panel and peanuts. It's so oh, depressing. See, wow. now it's very dark. All right, fair enough. Scott, uh, would you have a uh, a recommendation? Something something that you uh, that you love. So I there's a web comic that uh, reimagines uh, the Phantom and the first three Star Wars movies, uh, retold as if it's a bad D and D campaign, <laughs> <laughs> and it's called uh, Darth's and Droids at Darth's Darth's and I think there's something like uh, 550 entries so far, and it is uh, very funny. By the way, while you're talking Phantom Menace, I'm, I assume everyone here has seen the Red Letter Media reviews of the first three uh, Star Wars films, or the prequels, oh, yes. I should say. Those are those, are those are... the full full length commentary. Yeah, the uh, mm-hmm. commentaries that are almost as long as the films themselves. I can't. I I just can't. As much as I, you know, support the idea, I can't subject myself to that much Phantom Menace. Have you no, they're, tried? They're fantastic. Oh, it is, I watched the first seg- I watched the first segment. I managed to get through the first two movies. Because um, he wow. posted, he posted all of them, and I was just putting them on in the background. And then it, it gets very, you, the comedy on the on the movies themselves is funny, and then there's this like underlying serial <sighs> killer subplot that just, right. uh, yeah, yeah, it's it, pretty creepy. I have to say, it, it does a pretty decent job of it. That's true. It gives it a good well, it, color. The bit where he tries to mail pizza rolls to you is 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 a positive. <laughs> I want to jump in with a, even though you haven't gone around the circle, with a quick suggestion of George Lucas and Love, a short parody film starring a friend of mine from high school, good friend Martin Hines, as the young George Lucas, because as we know from previous podcasts, I apparently know everyone for some reason. That's a, that's actually a pretty great short. He's got a bad crop of space wheat. Yes. I love your movies. <laughs> Three, you know, T, you know, THX 1138, N357337. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a very clever little film. It is a hundred percent callbacks to or call forwards to um, American Graffiti. Well, mostly Star Wars, but also I think some American Graffiti references in there, and a great thrilling ending. But it's only like eight minutes long, I think. Is uh, it available? Yeah, I, I think you can uh, find it online. Not. It's not available at all. Ever. <laughs> I watched it. You I watched it when it came it. out back in like when did that 90, first time? I was in, yeah, I was in college. Yeah. Yes, George Lucas has killed everyone who has seen it. It's um. He actually it's liked like, it. It's like Mar- the ring. Martin, uh, George Lucas crawls out of your screen when you watch it. Martin was slightly God. concerned after this came out because it got an enormous amount of attention that perhaps this would harm his film career in Hollywood, and instead it turned out like through second parties that Spielberg and and Lucas and some other people thought it was actually damned hilarious, and it was a little you know a little meme in Hollywood well, for a while. Ha ha ha! Look at these. Well, Newsbomb went on actually directed. A couple features. Yes, uh, one of the American Pie direct-to-video spinoffs. Yeah, not, I didn't say it was anything good. <laughs> Got a job. Presumably yeah, they paid him. <laughs> who, who hasn't gone yet? Dan, how about you? Uh, I know I know at least some of you, maybe maybe my, my arch nemesis, Mr. McNulty, I think, have read Jasper Ford. <laughs> I have indeed. kind of a great absurdist writer in the realm of, I don't even know what you would call it. I mean, sort of fantasy. Um Sort of just strange literary humor. Um, it's a story he's written a few series, but the most popular one is a series of uh, sort of mystery novels called um, that follow the character Thursday Next, um, who gets embroiled in these various literary crimes, including I think in her first book she has to uh, rescue Jane Eyre. <laughs> I, uh, I I actually had I, I I'm in the middle of reading his most recent novel in the series. One of our Thursdays is missing. And I, and I had a brief paragraph that I, that I want to read because it touched upon stuff that I thought was was close to our hearts. So just to read a quick paragraph, dramatic, dramatic reading. reading. Dan, <clears throat> the taxi was the usual yellow and check variety, and could either run on wheels in the conventional manner or fly using advanced techno babble TM vectored gravitational inversion thrusters. This had been demanded by the sci-fi fraternity, who had been whinging on about hover cars and jetpacks for decades and needed appeasing before they went and did something stupid, 
like allow someone to make a movie based on the title of the book known as I, Robot. <laughs> very nice. Anyways, Mr. Ford is very funny. Uh, he worked in, previously worked in Hollywood, I believe, before he worked, uh, before he became a novelist. And his stuff is very similar in many ways to uh, like a Douglas Adams or a Terry Pratchett in that it's very absurd. It's full of chock full of references to both sort of geeky things and also just to general literature. In one of the earlier books, there's like there are roving gangs who uh, who are disputing the the authorship of Shakespeare's plays. Um, all sorts of various references to things. But anyways, he's very funny if you've not read him. Um, I had a, I had a hard time recommending him to some of my friends who are more traditional sci-fi and fantasy readers, but um, I actually got one of them to one of them to read him, and he actually surprisingly liked it a lot. So I highly recommend that. So how, where do I start with Jasper Ford? I would start with the Air Affair, which is the first Thursday next book. Um, there are I think six now, um, and they sort of delve in and out of. They both take place in a sort of parallel universe to our universe, as well as inside books themselves. Mm. It gets kind of meta at a few points. So the most recent <laughs> one, in the, well, in one of our Thursdays is missing. The main protagonist is not actually Thursday next, but the written version of Thursday next inside the book. So if you can wrap your head around that one. <laughs> Um, then you'll, you'll be all over it. You can also enjoy his lovely uh, series of sort of noir uh, children's tales, his his <laughs> nursery crime series, um, which includes uh, what's the first one? Oh, the um, <clears throat> over the over. Well, over easy is the first one, right? right. Or the big over easy, the big over easy, and the fourth bear, which are followed the investigation <laughs> like crime crime investigations in nursery land. Basically, wow, which are both pretty pretty amusing as well. So, if you have not and you're looking for something funny to read, I highly recommend Mr. Ford. Mr. That's Ford with two Fs, two Fs, and an and an E at the end, as as usual. Damn Welshman. Yes. He uh, Shades of Grey is more science fiction, still humorous, and now part. Well, it's the first in a trilogy, which I did not know when I was reading. Yeah, it's a little more. It's a little darker in some ways. It is. It's all that gray. Can I leave you with one last short? You sick me. I am a terrible person. <laughs> yes. The, yes, ladies, ladies and gentlemen. Open mic night is back in session. The 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 poetry stylings of Dan Morin. The the beginning of each chapter of his books include quotes from other fictional books. Um, so in this particular one, uh, these are quotes from Bradshaw's Book World Companion, which is about life inside books. Distilling metaphor out of raw euphemism was wasteful and expensive, and the euphemism-producing genres on the island were always squeezing the market. Besides, the byproduct of metaphor using the cracked euphemism process liberates Irony 238 and dangerous quantities of alliteration, which are associated with downright dangerous disposal difficulties. And that's a quote from a fictional work. A fictional work inside a fictional Within work. The inside a fictional work. We, if hurts. there's anything we like on the the, the yeah. incomparable is metafiction that's telling more metafiction inside of it. I can't wait until we do a podcast about this podcast. That will be awesome. <laughs> it's called This Podcast Is This Podcast Is Over. <laughs> is over. Uh, Ren, I, I don't think we had uh, gone to what? you yet. No, so. no, you had not. So you're next. I, I have two things, a, an obscure one and a not obscure one. But I will start with the obscure one since this seems to be the obscure round, uh, oh which is also a little bit of a meta within a meta, which is Diana Wynne-Jones, who recently passed away, God rest her soul, is a fantastic fantasy writer that very few people know about because she mostly did young adult fiction. And she had a lovely – She she's most well-known for Crestomanche, which is this – fantasy series about magicians and cats and it's very it's very whimsical but she also did this little thing in the mid 90s uh this technically two book series but it's it has sort of a a primer called the tough guide to fantasy land uh which is basically the idea that all of the fantasy stories that you hear about and all of the fantasy stories are all one giant world and mm. in reality everybody comes through like tourists and the big bad kings are not actually big bad kings. They're just normal people. And these big bad fights don't actually happen, but they're staged every year so that the tourists feel like they're actually getting something out of the experience. They're like, oh, that's fantasy. That's how it's going. So she wrote this non, this quote unquote nonfiction book called The Tough Guide to Fantasyland, which is all about the, the reality behind fantasy series. 
And then she did a two-book fictional series uh, called The Dark Lord of Durkholm is the first one. The second one is, I think, Year of the Griffin, which is about basically the denizens of Fantasyland having to deal with these tourists coming through and expecting this big giant battle. And so they have to basically someone is elected, you know, the evil king. And this it turns out to be this griffin, this family of griffins. Uh, and so they have to put together they basically have to enchant their castle and and they have to take advantage of, you know, these this horde of undead and and. But it's it's a very it's a very funny little and very satirical look at all of the things that are wrong with the fantasy trope and how outsiders view them. She likes to do that a lot in all of her books, where it's all you know based on what the normal world sees versus actual fantasy, and it's very it's very fun. I love she she I would even though some of her books are a bit young adult, I would wholly recommend that people read her per stuff because it's just it's so funny and and so wit- like very very concise and witty <laughs> that's great um and very timely too since she just passed so yeah Thank you. i nice. i'm I, I feel bad but her, her stuff is so great so i'm encouraging more people to read it this is extremely obscure none of you have probably heard of it but there was this there was this fellow in england in the in the 70s who wrote a parody of um what started out really as a parody of science fiction as a uh, as a radio show and it later turned into really? a book and a tv series and a movie and a <laughs> series amazing. of books tell me more and it's um of course i speak of the uh the uh Klom trilogy <laughs> ah, <yes. laughs> no i i you know of course i'm talking about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is one of the funniest things I think that I've ever read. But what I want to say about it is, if you've only experienced it in one medium, I encourage you to experience in another. Um, I I grew up reading the books and only recently listened to the radio plays, which was actually the original uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, which he was working on. Douglas Adams was working on it while he was working on uh, Doctor Who in the seventies for the BBC, and um, and so he was able. And he slipped some parody into his Doctor Who episodes, but he, it really all comes out in the radio plays, which are different from the books. They they are substantially different in some ways. Where he would tinker with his story and sometimes find better ways or just different ways to do it in the different formats. But um, so I really highly recommend those. But um, I, I come back to the book and how it is one of the funniest things that I've read. And it is, it, I may have read it more than any other book that I've ever read because the original um, is so funny. And, and, and the sequels are also uh, quite good, um, although they vary in tone and quality. The first two are, are, books are essentially um, seamless. So, you know, he, he manages to cover a lot of ground um, in the later series. He actually tries to covers some things that are a little more serious about the the evolution of his characters. And he's got a great kind of um, moment where he gives the finger to some of his critics and basically says, look, I'm going to talk about these characters that you've been following for a thousand pages. And if you don't like that, just skip to the end. Cause that's got a funny bit with Marvin in it. Can I, can I put a plug in for uh, I believe there for any of his essays, most of which I think, or a lot of which were com- uh, collected in the salmon of doubt, I right. believe, which is the, his unfinished also includes an unfinished novel. Um, some of which are, I just remember reading one. I think there is there one about like cookies because I feel like I read this one about cookies that I was laughing so hard that I could not. Yes. I could not actually see. One of the best things about the radio shows, uh, having read recently, "Wish You Were Here," which is the biography of Douglas Adams, and it's in its like fifth revision. It's revised so much that Neil Gaiman wrote the first couple versions before he was a uh, Neil Gaiman, and um, there are footnotes of footnotes in the book. It has been so extensively overhauled over the years. It is a fascinating biography, but what you find out from this, which I don't think I knew before, is that not only was he writing the uh, radio plays before they aired, he was writing them while they were recording them. Literally, he was writing them while the actors were speaking lines, he was writing lines for the next scene, which explains why the radio plays may have at times appeared a little erratic. And the reason the first Hitchhiker Guide book suddenly ends where he says, 
where they say, let's go to the restaurant of the universe, is the publisher practically drove to his house and clawed the manuscript out of his hands and put it on the press. Well, he was a man who was not good at deadlines. He's famous for saying that he loves deadlines, especially the whooshing sound they make as they blow past him. He had had a phenomenal phenomenal disregard for the notion of time and space. So one of the things I love about Douglas Adams, and I'm going to follow in Dan's footsteps and read a very tiny fragment from very early on in the first book, because what I love about him is his way to... um, put these characters in kind of awful situations and have these really kind of deadpan um, responses. So even though it's funny, um, let, let's not forget, this is a, a comedy series that begins with the complete destruction of planet Earth. <laughs> and he plays it for laughs. And this is this is my best part, where, where, where Ford takes in Arthur <laughs> still in his bathrobe into the pub. And his is dressing ordering, gown. And is, yes, in or, ordering... Um, which ordering, I had no freaking clue what that meant right, when I first right. read the book. It's a bathrobe. Um, <laughs> uh, ordering beer and peanuts. And, uh, and I love this. He says, um, going to watch the match this afternoon then. Ford glanced around. No, no point, he said, and looked back out the window. What's that? Foregone conclusion then? Arsenal without a chance? No, no, said Ford. It's just that the world's about to end. Oh, yes, sir. So you said, said the barman. Lucky escape for Arsenal if it did. Ford looked back at him, generally surprised. No, not really," he said. <laughs> there's, there's two phrases from the book that I use um, probably so often that people who know me are already disgusted that I would even cite them. One is a substance almost but not quite entirely unlike tea, which huh. is produced by uh, a bending machine on the heart of gold, the spaceship. Yes. Yes. And the other, of course, is the statement about products made by the Sirius Cybernetics Corp. Since we are all technology people, we've encountered this the whole thing, which is that... Your plastic the, pal who's fun to be with? Exactly. It's, <laughs> no, the, um, the, it's the statement about the fact that uh, that the serious cybernetics pro- uh, corporation products are so deeply flawed. It's the it's the minor design flaws quote. Is that you are so overcome with uh, joy at defeating the minor design flaws that you to- totally overlook the major design flaws. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm and I have had to use this. I've been tempted to use this in about half the hardware reviews I've written in my life. <laughs> Steve might join me. There are probably some text adventure aficionados out there. Oh, the Hitchhiker's yes. Guide to the Galaxy God. was also a text. I think adventure. we talked. We Did we not talk this, about this uh, on the I video think, game? On I the think video game talk, episode. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, it was a spoiler alert for those who hadn't solved it because somebody, what was it, Greg Noss actually knows? Or was it you, Steve, who knows exactly what to do? To... Uh, yeah, sadly that I was I totally me. gave up on that game in 1993 <laughs> so, and so, <laughs> never quite got back to it. it it's brilliant. But but what I, when you're talking about things that stick with you from Douglas Adams, I find this hilarious that my wife has only played one text adventure in her entire life and it was The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And that probably completely turned her off text adventures. Well, I think it did, but (laughs) but we still make references to it because one of the funny things in that game is that um, it it was actually parodying the fact that you could pick up objects and drop them and have them in your inventory. And one of the objects that you had was no tea. Right. And and you could pick it up, no tea, and you could drop no tea. Um, And to this day... No tea is here. In various situations, my wife will turn to me and say, you have... No tea. <laughs> you know, it's funny somebody mentioned uh, the pocket fluff because this was back in the days pocket when fluff. Infocom actually packaged crazy stuff with their games. And oh. the game actually came with a piece of pocket fluff. One of the things about Hitchhiker's Guide and all the ancillary stuff was that it, it, did, it did the same thing that I was proposing Board of the Rings did, is it transcends the parody because it's a parody, but it's so damn good that you're enjoying the funny part, but you're also enjoying the story. And the modern equivalent of that, I would say, is the series Futurama, a Matt Greening a co-produced venture after after The Simpsons, you know, which was The Simpsons wasn't a big success. So he thought he'd go into the <laughs> science fiction genre and produce something massively successful there. But it's got the same thing, a loving attention to detail, super nerdy detail details in it, and uh, half the people who work on the show have math PhDs. Uh, and they and they like to flaunt it in the in the notes on the blackboards, the uh, virtual blackboards on the show. But it it also has that thing where the stories, some of them have real heart, and they're not just parodies of the genre. At some point, they ran out of just parodying it and created something new that was also hilarious. Glenn, I'm going to stop you there because you know what I think. I think we should do a whole <gasps> podcast about Futurama. No, Good news, everyone. But that won't be today. <laughs> oh. I, th- I think Glenn should just repeat Futurama a couple no more, more times. No more Futurama today.
could we look for for things that we like in other in other media in in uh, in movies and TV? Does anybody have su- suggestions of some movies or TV shows <laughs> that ooh, would be ooh, that would ooh. be good? And, and and Steve, perhaps because I know especially he loves the horror genre. I think there are a lot of really good examples <laughs> in that genre. But we'll start with uh, Dan Morin. Uh, well, there's a couple ones, some of which we discussed before, but I will start with one that I've been recently uh, watching, which is the the TV show Supernatural. Mm. Um, which seems off the top of it. Um, yeah, it, it, uh, go ahead. You can laugh. I will because it's, it, it's got. Uh, it doesn't have Dean from uh, the Gilmore Girls. From the Gilmore Girls, and does I? You know what? And that is in fact mocked yes. at least in one episode. This is what I love about this show is that. Um, Let's just talk about the Gilmore Girls, Scott. I think we should. I never liked Jess. Oh, oh he was no good. Uh, no, you know, he just go ahead and mock that character. Go ahead and mock. It's they okay. Do. I'm glad they got rid of him, and then he was on Heroes. What was that about? I oh. never think of him as anything <laughs> but Rory's near to well boyfriend. It's true that that punk with an attitude from Stars Hollow. Yeah, why, why didn't they kick him out of Stars Hollow? Nobody wants that kind of. Well, you know, they're, they're well. just so polite. Well, he was, he out he was of like Stars Luke's, Hollow. He was like Luke's nephew or something, though, wasn't he? He so was Luke's he had nephew. So I can leave anytime I want. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Let the man speak Dan, for explain. Christ's yes, sake. I, I want to let you dig as deep a hole as you like in telling us about how great Supernatural is. Go ahead. Supernatural is a fantastic show and maybe one of the best shows I've watched in years. In fact, I would go so far as to say is it is the best uh, sort of horror fantasy show since Buffy. I would actually say. Um, it is actually drop dead funny. They are, there's an episode in which, for example, the two characters, main, uh, the brothers, go and visit Hollywood to investigate a ghost sighting. And while there, they make reference to the fact that they're passing the Gilmore Girls set. And the actor who was on that show kind of looks up awkwardly and makes them get off the little tram and walk away. Um, they've done a number of parody episodes. They did one this, this most recent season I watched that is entirely an homage to the universal monster movies of the thirties mm. is shot entirely in black and white. And it involves a shapeshifter who turns himself into like the Bella Lugosi version of Dracula, the Lon Chaney version of the Wolfman oh. and, and sort of kidnaps people. Um, and throughout that, despite having these totally off the wall episodes, um, there's an episode, for example, there's a time loop episode um, in which they, the two characters get stuck in a time loop, which ends every time with one of the brothers dying um, in various <laughs> unfortunate ways, including having like a piano dropped on him. Um, but throughout this, they managed to actually hold a, a pretty good plot, like ongoing storyline as well. Uh, my personal favorite humorous episode involved an episode where uh, they discover an artifact that's a rabbit's foot, which makes you exceedingly lucky while you have it in your possession. So, you know, somebody shoots at them and the bullet, like, ricochets off, like, four different walls and knocks the gun out of the person's hand. Um, except then when you lose it, your luck goes downhill, which involves a variety of pratfalls and increasingly unfortunate uh, happenstance. So I will say this. I, you know, mock the show all you want, but until okay. you've actually watched it, <laughs> then I, I hold actually no respect for your mock. I will say that I did watch the first uh, few episodes and perhaps... They were uh, at that point. They were still taking themselves very seriously, and uh, it was no. It's good. really starting starting with the second season. I feel like they really get into a groove that they, there's a lot of meta references to the show. There's an episode with a wishing well that grants actual wishes, including a little girl who wishes her teddy bear is alive, and so ends up with a giant six foot depressed teddy bear that can't understand <laughs> what it's doing there, and at one point tries to kill itself by shooting itself in the head and just blows stuffing out of the brain. <laughs> Um, wow! And during that conversation, one of the you know one of the characters is like, "Oh yeah," as a cover, he says, "Oh, we're we're writing a book about weird things. What's the name of your book?" Uh, supernatural. <laughs> it's it gets very uh, meta. I hear there is an episode in later seasons in which they actually end up in our world as you know the and are recognized as the actors portraying them. So um, it's a clever show. I got to say, I was surprised. But pleasantly so. It has to have completely changed then from... For the CW, having seen a couple seasons and episodes here and there, it is not a bad show. For the CW, they're setting the bar high. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's better than Charmed. My my taste is impeccable. Better than Charmed. That's the only thing worse than saying for the CW. If you can find a hole in my taste, please go ahead. Actually, having seen the first episode, I thought it was basically the dude Charmed. 
<laughs> yeah, like, I mean it. It hot starts dudes off as take that, on right? Some weird, half-assed, barely supernatural yeah. event each each week in a Scooby Doo type fashion, but with less. Uh, they give them. I mean, what makes the show is that the rapport between the two guys playing brothers. They actually are really funny. They go back and forth. They act like actual brothers. You know, they bicker. They fight. Um, but they have they have a good relationship. They have good chemistry. I, now, Dan, I gotta say, you brought you brought up supernatural rather than spaced, really. I've talked about space before on our podcast, and I've extolled its virtues. And I could do so at any moment. In fact, if you would like, I could perform the entire series from you from beginning oh, to end. I would um, like to see that. That might be another podcast. After why after we read, why we've heard enough of you today? But after you think I can't be emotional? <laughs> I cried like a baby at the end of Terminator Two with the thumb and the. <laughs> That's the first scene from Scarpa. Yes. Bravo, Scott! Help me out here. Uh, well, did you love Charmed? Did, did, did we just spoil you bringing up Charmed? You, you did, which is I like don't... a girl version of Supernatural, I hear. But it's far superior to Supernatural. <laughs> Please, it's it's closer to the material. Well, well uh, there are more girls. There are more girls. It's true. I've not been I've not been so insulted since Scott told me about how he doesn't like Star. Well, that's uh, I'm saving that for later. Uh, how about a little? Uh, <laughs> I am a big fan of British sitcoms or Britcoms, as those. Oh, you know, Kick him off the show for that. Kick him off the show. Uh, so that. the it crowd or the IT crowd, one or the other. Well played, sir. Ah, uh, thank you. Is is uh, one of my my favorite uh, geeky sitcoms. Uh, it, it it is it follows the adventures and misadventures of uh, this kind of uh, corporations IT group which oh. is three people and they are in the basement and they go around doing things and I think the first the in the first uh, the opening of the first uh, show you know the phone rings one of the IT guys picks it up and he says uh, have you tried rebooting and he hangs up and that kind of sets the whole tone for it it's a very good show it's very much a uh, it's almost like an office kind of flavored thing it's true but it's more absurd than the office yes is because the, later and maybe in the second season you you find out that there is a uh, someone who has been trapped in the server room and he lives there and he's they think he may be a vampire uh, <laughs> and they're not sure <laughs> Ren, do you have? Uh, would you like to extol the virtues of something? Sure, um, I'm going to mention again with the mid '90s movies. Galaxy Quest is Ooh, great. Uh, okay, you took um, you took my thing, so go did ahead. I take your I, thing. Go, I'm sorry. Go well, ahead. it was a it's a it's a combination of several. Galaxy Quest was one of the ones I was thinking. Fifth Element is kind of serious, but also mm. kind of ridiculous. It's just this this series. Also mm. kind of terrible. Also kind of terrible, but <laughs> in a wonderful way. In a good way. No, I kind of liked it. In a it's terrible, terrib way. no, it's terrible and delightful. I took my future wife on a date so to that movie, so I have a soft spot for it. So bad, <laughs> which tells all kinds of things about yeah, right now. So, so Galaxy Quest. Tell me more about about Galaxy Quest. Oh gosh, Galaxy Quest is kind of pro for everybody's seen it on the podcast, right? Has anybody not seen it? It's it's proto Star Trek, basically. I have it's not seen it, although I have it, oh. had it quoted at me repeatedly. Oh, what? It's, it's, okay, so go see it. Anybody? It's one of the best Star Trek movies ever made in fact yes Perhaps. no it, it is be hard to achieve in my opinion it has oh. it has the same quality as it <laughs> it transcends the parody even though it's incredibly funny it does and it, it has stellar casting as the i mean alan rickman, alan rickman is in it yeah alan and alan rickman is in it is basically the spock is he the spock character i believe yes. and yes yeah and it's basically you know I these washed up hammer. yeah washed up television actors who used to be on this star trek like show which has ended on a cliffhanger and then they get basically t abducted, right, by by yes. action by aliens who have actually seen that has seen the show based on like radio broadcasts through the well, through they, the stars. They, they, right, they've modeled their entire society on the historical documents that are actually the episodes of this Star Trek like canceled TV show, and they've come to recruit them and they've built them a starship so that they can lead them into battle against their alien. They're alien foe, except these people are all just kind of vain actors who are not ca remotely capable of doing what the characters can do. So it's the three uh, amigos in space. Yeah, a lot like that. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Tim Allen, by the way, you oh, know, well, the best performance of his career. As his yeah. sort of Shatner-esque uh, guy who ends up sucking it up and doing it's his job and saving the, that planet of jellyfish people from certain destruction. And 
Al- and Alan Rickman, he delivers a performance. Alan Rickman is an extraordinary actor in any movie he's in, no matter how terrible. We know this, right? <laughs> and in this movie, sure. which is good, Shoot he you know he seems he seems totally to be this pompous ass. And then at the end, there's a scene where I'm in tears. Oh yeah, in the middle of this, yeah, and you're just like, by Grosnor's hammer, I will avenge thee, or whatever the <laughs> line is. And you're like, <laughs> the most ridiculous it's, thing. It's by Grapthor's hammer. Fire by Grapthor's hammer. Get it right. Oh, he ruined it. He completely ruined the punchline. Now it's a oh, nice job, Glenn. Failure. Another interesting Grass thing about this, about this film, though, on the DVD, you know how deleted <laughs> scenes, you usually watch deleted scenes, and you say, there's a reason these weren't in the movie. Galaxy Quest, the deleted scenes should have been in. There are uh-huh. missing plot points and some hilarious stuff I'll in the deleted scenes. Out. Sam Rockwell is in this movie, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he plays, he plays a red shirt. He was yeah. a guy who was an ensign in, like, a couple episodes, and then throughout the throughout the episode, he's What's like, I'm the, I'm the expendable guy. They're, I'm, I'm going to die. What's yeah. my last name? It's he's the red shirt throughout. The, my favorite part in the movie, I think we probably have to fire the spoil, the spoiler horn off because it's the it's the countdown All device. Right. Mm. Just being vague, but I yeah, I'll just say it and be vague like that. The countdown device is my favorite part of that movie because well, now there's great. just no point in seeing it. Thanks a lot. No. I, that's that's suffice, it, suffice hmm. to say there is a device that has to count down and, yes. and there's a whole it's a science you know, fiction a smaller movie. version of the spoiler horn for spoilers that really aren't the old so spoilers goes, <laughs> <laughs> spoilers that don't <laughs> count spoiler quack we bring that out <laughs> <laughs> oh and and uh justin what's his face uh justin uh, long guy Justin Long yes. is in this film. Justin Long is in this film. He's playing a bit of a bit of a dweeb, by the way. What? Spoiler alert! What? <laughs> He's now you can get the horn dweeb. going. <laughs> so, so I I, yeah. I fully endorse Ren's selection of Galaxy Quest. Great, funny parody that elevates itself, and I think that's a that's a recurring theme here: is that you can take something that's sort of a loving parody, and if you do a really good job, it, it elevates above the source material and is just. Uh, you know, it's just funny on its own, and it creates its own little little universe. And I actually am hopeful that um, there's been some talk that they might uh, revisit Galaxy Quest, which I would be up for oh, because yeah. that is a that would great be fun. film. Great film. I wanted to say also, uh, this is very very recent, but Paul, which is um, by the create two of the three creators of Space, uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, it's their writing debut. I don't know if they directed it, but they also star in it. They did not. They did not, not direct Greg it. Matola. Yes, Greg Matola. Super bad. Oh. Super bad. Yes. But uh, that's that explains a lot. But Paul is also not only is it hilarious, but it it is chock full with so many ridiculous science fiction references and cameos and guest stars. It's basically two geeks uh, who go to Comic Con and then decide to tour a road or go on a road trip of famous alien artifacts in the you know uh, Southwest, and then they run into an actual alien and they have to deal with that to give nothing away uh, and. Yes, the voice of Seth Rogen as the Yes, alien. the voice of Seth Rogen as the alien. And I was I was really concerned because I was pretty much assuming that this was going to be the hangover with sci-fi jokes. And to a certain extent it kind of is, but at the same time the sci-fi jokes are at such a wonderful level. Jason Bateman does a great Han Solo cameo, which I will not spoil <laughs> because it is just so perfect that I, I can't even like I, I was in glee for at least five minutes after that happened. It there's just there's a lot of great acting. There's Jason Bateman, Sigourney Weaver's in it. Um, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, uh, Jane Lynch has a has a short Ooh. thing. There's just there's so many wonderful wonderful actors. <laughs> no, my selection is Doctor Who parodies, specifically The Curse of Live Death. The The Curse of Fatal Death. Like Curse of Fatal Death. Get it right, Glenn. Ah, the Live Curse of Fatal Death. Much it's much better if you get the title right. Uh, Just erase that and fix that for me, will you? It's 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 brilliant because it's by Stephen Moffat who ended up running the real show, but it was done when it was off the air, and it's got an all star cast as well. It's got Rowan Atkinson as as the Doctor and Julia Sawalia as as an assistant, and Jonathan Price as the Master, and then there are lots of um, Steve. You'll uh, like this part. There's lots of uh, poop jokes too. There's also it's, and, bo- and boob jokes. A regeneration Yay, scene at the end. Richard Grant, Jim Broadbent, Hugh Grant, and yep. then Joanna Lumley all appear as subsequent doctors in a regeneration scene. Yes, because the doctor does really stupid things and keeps killing himself. But, um, <laughs> the other thing is it's on you YouTube. Up, 
if you so it is up, available on It's about YouTube. 23 minutes. It was done for uh, one of the uh, Red Nose Day telethons, charity telethons. If you look up parodies of Doctor Who, and I was surprised by this. I did not know this. I, I've seen some others. There are over 50 <laughs> parodies listed. Some are just a single scene, and some are extended sketches or episodes uh, in TV alone. And then there's a bunch of other stuff, too. I mean, Doctor Who was rife. There were so many episodes, and it was so cheesy. Sometimes it's hard to parody stuff that's cheesy in the older series where it was less, you know, less serious and more of um, low rent. Uh, but yeah, Curse of Fatal but Death. Curse of Fatal Death, which is, which is a callback to um, many ridiculous Doctor Who titles like The Deadly Assassin. That's the best one. Um, <laughs> and and uh, there are also uh, several points in The Curse of Fatal Death where there's a serious plot problem that is caught by the companion who says, but Doctor, I don't understand that. And he just turns to her and says, I'll explain later. And then there's and the Daleks on. at one point. Beautiful. This happens. There's sort of a pause in the Dalek and the Daleks say, "He will explain later." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, we are we I'll are running later. out of time. Um, I'll explain later. Exactly right, <laughs> Steve. Have you? I, I posed you a question earlier about something uh, 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 like a horror horror release that that you find uh, particularly funny. Uh, do you uh, have you, something for me? You did mention something along those lines, and it's obvious you're trying to draw Shaun of the Dead out of me. Uh, but I'm going to veer aside and discard your expectations, which turn out to uh, not have actually been your expectations, I'm like so a, a wad of so many used tissues, uh, and instead bring up uh, a TV show that's, uh, again, from Britain. Oh, that's, I think uh, I know what you're going for. Is it a Britcom? No, it is not. It is actually a travel show in its own way called An Idiot Abroad. Oh, I'm sure yes. some of you are familiar with it, uh, yes. but it's 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 sort of a spinoff from the Ricky Gervais. Pos- Is it Gervais or Gervais? Gervais. Gervais. Okay, I'm going to go with Gervais. Uh, <laughs> so it's a spinoff of that <laughs> podcast. It's French. Ricky uh, Gervais. It, 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 if if you've ever listened to that podcast, it basically involves, and I haven't, so I have no idea. But I'm oh, told man. you're missing out. It's. I, <laughs> It involves uh, payment, so I, as a cheap bastard, I, I pretty much just live vicariously through those who have actually first spent season is free, the but money. Yeah. First one's but free. But I, I understand a large part of it is is Ricky Gervais yes. and Stephen Mer- Merchanta. Merchand. Mer- oh. Merchand. Merchante. <laughs> um, basically abusing the, uh, uh, the, the bald-headed Carl Pilkington, who I, they consider it. Uh, oh, you get his name right. Just <laughs> well, because he and I we share a, a lot of uh, a lot of qualities, and so I I bothered to look up the pronunciation of his name. Um, but anyway, they just torment this guy, and he's uh, they they consider him kind of a, a half wit, and uh, I, I haven't quite gotten whether it's it's all kind of a dry act or whether he genuinely is just kind of a, a deadpan he, dude who's. I've heard enough of it now with the entire Ricky Gervais podcast. It's that's just him. Right. He's just that guy. And Ricky Gervais said, wait a second, I, this guy is hilarious in his right. own unintentional way. Let's uh, put him in uncomfortable situations and see what he does. And that's exactly what this is, is they've taken uh, uh, Carl Pilkington and um, and sent him to the uh, Seven Wonders of the Ancient World and uh, put him up in the worst accommodations possible. <laughs> and, put him into situations where he's likely to be killed and uh and then they just they watch what he does and then uh, call him while he's there yes, and, and call him. him and torment him and talk about how they're they just opened their third bottle of champagne and uh <laughs> they're about to go take a nice bubble bath uh while he's being trampled by a bull in the middle of some dusty field in mexico <laughs> the mexico episode was very funny it was. It was good, and and it was actually I thought kind of interesting that that turned out to be the place that he he liked the most of the various places he'd visited. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's very I like funny, the, and the it's the Great it, Wall it actually, of China where he just basically says this isn't so great. <laughs> well, that's the, the thing that I like so much about the show, and uh, I I'm, I know I'm taking this completely the wrong way because I'm supposed to look at him and go ah stupid idiot, how does he not see the beauty in that uh, ziggurat? And uh, and in fact, basically everything he says is is about what I would say in the same situation. <laughs> no, that's that's he that's the, the brilliance I think of Carl Pilkington is that it, I mean he he has a very straightforward view and and sometimes you know he uh, 
I think what a lot of people like Ricky Gervais or Stephen Merchant, who is the one who I think really has tra- been the world traveler, says, is, you know, it broadens your mind and you can really see into other cultures and you can appreciate history. And all that is true. And I think you can appreciate it on that level. Then there's that other level, which is I'm staying in a really crappy place and this food is really weird and I'm afraid to drink the water. And I don't really see what the fuss about this thing is. It's just kind of an old bunch of bricks. And Carl that's the level he's working on and he and he just looks at it and goes why why is this so great this wall and then they say walk across it and he says why would i do that why would anybody do that ever i love it there's a particular scene i think he's at what tenochtitlan in in mexico and uh he's basically yeah (laughs) it's actually pronounced tenochtitlan yeah gervais you have to Uh, pronounce gervais you have to give your tongue uh, fork to say it right He's he's it's at the very end of the episode and he's effectively given up on trying to figure out what's so great about it. And he puts on his headphones and and uh, and I think it's uh, a Depeche Mode song or something that's on. And he just starts walking away dancing. <laughs> and, uh, at that point, he's happy. He's given up on on the monument. And uh, I think as he's walking away, he says, you know, there's nothing so boring that uh, and he, he comes up with completely the wrong band and the wrong song that that that's such and such that the cure can't fix or something. Yes. Anyway, it's a great show. That's uh, it's it's uh, on the Science Channel the science of channel, all things. Um, I guess because it's somewhat of a, a science experiment to send this poor bastard out and see what he does and see yeah, if he survives. I, I think Gervais says that it's because Carl Pilkington is a wonder of science because no one can explain him. There we go. Whatever works. Anyway, it's it's genius, and I highly recommend it. My favorite moment in in the Mexico episode is also in the Mexico episode when he's in uh, uh, the ring with the bulls, and he's like, "Okay, this is too dangerous. I have to leave." So he, he leaves the ring, and they show him walking down this road, and then they show, and he's wearing a sombrero, and then he uh, starts running <laughs> the other way because there's a swarm of bees. <laughs> <laughs> He's just absolutely incredulous throughout the Mexico episode that, what the hell is wrong with you people? It's like you're all trying to die. And he's trying to find the Mexican jumping beans. He keeps asking everyone. Yes. <laughs> he asks everybody he finds if they've got Mexican jumping beans, and nobody has a clue what he's talking about. Has anybody out there, anybody feel unfulfilled? Is there something else that you would like to share that I have not yet uh, prompted you to share? We would probably be remiss if we did not mention Rift Tracks in some way, shape, or form. I mentioned it earlier in a short. You form. did, yes, in passing. Um, in but I, it, it's, I've never, heard, I've never heard of specifically. This. I wanted to bring up uh, something called iRiffs, which oh, involves ah, yes. basically. Uh, well, riff tracks is, of course, commentary tracks similar to MST3K, uh, and written by most of the same crew that was involved with Mystery Science Theater. And again, another hilarious example of uh, you know just great stuff. And a lot of that mystery science theater stuff is now on Netflix Instant Watch. So oh, should check it out. if there are movies oh. that you haven't caught on MST3K, a lot of them are are up there now. And one of the uh, things I wanted to bring up, so this works well, and I will then let Steve finish what he's talking about, uh, is it, during uh, MST3K, it ended uh, often with uh, keep circulating the tapes because people would. Uh, tape it on VHS tapes, obviously, because that's the time. And then they would mail tapes to each other. And this group of fans created their own, before Rift Tracks, uh, they did their own Mystery Science Theater episode uh, with Star Trek V. And the only way at the time to get it was to send $3 to this address, and then you would get a VHS tape of this hilarious... Uh, Mystery Science Theater uh, with Star Trek V. And you can find it on the internet now. So look for it. It's well worth the effort. <laughs> but uh, IRIFS, as you know, is uh, is essentially uh, the ability f- uh, for people to come up with their own riff tracks, which then people can purchase and download and sync up with a DVD of, of whatever film you may happen to have laying around the house. And, uh, and in fact, I, I understand that a plucky little podcast uh, might have put one of those together recently. I believe so. You can you can find it. It's the Phantom Empire Chapter Five. Is it now? Hilarious, if I do say so myself. Oh my god, it's funny, and it features many of the people on this podcast. In fact, all of them today, except me. Well, no, I, me. I mean all of the people it features are on tonight's podcast. Oh, A subset yes. of tonight's dun, dun, dun. Cast. subset. Right, Scott. Scott. And Ren are both in it as well, but they are playing um, only sound effects. It's true. Yes. <laughs> Horse You're my cat in the background. I, I will throw out really quick that, uh, um, and I think we talked about doing a podcast about this subject in the uh-huh. future as well, but uh, 
the uh, author Terry Pratchett, mm. who is, I think, another one of the great examples. Hey, Jason, you should read some Pratchett, by the way. Good omens. Oh, uh, I, I purchased guards, guards. So I'll be reading that. Good man. Yeah, another Douglas Adams sort of vein. Uh, and what Douglas Adams did for sci-fi, Terry Pratchett has done for fantasy, creating a huge series taking place in the world of Discworld. And he's written like 30 novels or something. Um, the man is the man is prodigious, if nothing else. Um, and a few of those have actually been turned into uh, TV productions. There is a production of um, The Color of Magic, which was his first Discworld book that aired on Sky TV in Britain last year, two years ago. And then most recently, a version of Making Money, which is one of his more recent books, starring Richard Coyle from Stephen Moffat's ah. Coupling. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's also, and as as I think Ren mentioned, Good Omens, which was a collaboration between Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, um, and it's a it's a hilarious book, um, and they are making a British a British version of the miniseries of that directed by Monty Python alum Terry Jones. Is that actually in production now? It's been rumored for years. Uh, it is. No, no, no. This is this is actually happening. I knew Monty Python as would of, come as up. of like last week or two. Oh my God. Yeah. So so anyway, I'm glad that you all could could uh, join me for this very loosely themed uh, podcast because I wanted to do something to mark April 1st. Back in the old days, Steve and I... Are we all, all going to be murdered? Steve, well, yes, and now your usefulness is is no more. No, Steve and I, back in the old days, along with a bunch of other people, Lisa Schmeiser included, um, did a, uh, a, t- a site called TV where we did a, a parody um, on April 1st every single year, an entire parody oh website. And those were the days, and um, as my wife said to me this very week, she said, boy, I'm glad you don't do that anymore. So instead, we have a <laughs> it podcast. It was a pretty nightmarish experience year after year. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah. All right, so thank you all for sharing your um, your things that make you laugh with us, because it is important to laugh. So um, I would like to thank you individually now, as is our custom in this podcast, this, the, the Incomparable Nations custom, is to thank you individually. Not collectively. So, Dan Morin, I thank you. Thank you, Jason. Scott McNulty, I am grateful for your presence. Well, thank you, Jason. I have to go watch the episodes of The Supernatural I have on my DVR. (laughs) (laughs) I'm coming for you, McNulty. (laughs) Serenity Caldwell, I am grateful for your presence. It is always a pleasure, Jason Snell. Always? Did we test that tonight? A little bit, but it's still it's still it's still pleasurable at at the present time. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure Glenn, has been obtained. Glenn Fleischman, I acknowledge pleasure. your presence. I was promised a shallow grave, and that's what I will get. Steve Lutz, I appreciate you um, being on this podcast from a hotel room instead of watching hotel room porn. You are forever in my debt. Indeed, I am. And on that note. Until next time, again, as is our custom, I, Jason Snell, host of The Incomparable, thank you, the listener, for listening to this nonsense. Until next time. Unfortunately, everything we discussed tonight is real, isn't it? That's the one downside. Everything we discussed tonight is... No, no, one of the things mentioned tonight... Yeah, one one was not real. real. Mm -hmm. You'll have to figure out which one it is. And one of them was poisoned. It was me. Mm. I'm actually you were not real and poisoned. I'm a very poor simulation of a podcaster. I'm a series of Perl scripts running on a laptop. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I, I could get Captain Kirk to um Actually it should have been some... obvious. Oh, I clearly some... failed the Turing test earlier today. Yeah. Yeah, but the next thing I say will be the truth. The <gasps> last thing I said was a lie. Norman Lady or the Error, tiger. error, error. And that's the end. Didn't we, uh, didn't we introduce this episode with the, with the uh, statement that one of the people on this podcast will die? <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> that's... <laughs> As it turns out, I was never actually alive, so... Ooh. Uh, that was the, the, the wacky twist. Well, you were, yeah, you're a vampire. No, I'm a, a set of Pearl scripts. Oh, I did. That's true. Yes. Who's the vampire? It's scarier like... than a vampire when you think about this it. This is just like that episode of Supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Just knife in the wound. I'm going to start saying mean things about something else that you like. <laughs> oh, you'll get that yours. Was... I'll find something you like and be mean to it too. You know what? Colby, sure what it geez, is. sucks.
All right, Gentle- I, gentlemen and ladies, yes. I am pressing the big button that turns off the recorder. Push the yes. button, Frank. No, I will cease to exist. Steve, it's time for the it's time for the hotel room porn. Uh, yeah, I actually started that about forty five minutes ago. <laughs> ah, <thank> so. you. <laughs> So. Is this a 1900 house on PBS <laughs> where the, the people lived in a, a house and only used technology from 1900? Yes. I never actually watched it, but I would I see excerpts. By it. Yeah. That was so – I remember them like on a fence collecting collecting something in the dirt. That's that's the only memory I have of, of the show. I like the 17th century one where they were like supposed to be a um, trading company <clears throat> and had to deal with uh, actual Native Americans who were descended from people in the 1600s who lived in that area. This is the worst incomparable ever. Cool. And then they all caught smallpox and died and it ended up <laughs> Yes. It's historic. Then yeah. the cholera hit. They came down the with the grip. <laughs> there was a, um, there's a young adult and novel called Running Out of Time that's all based around that, which is very Ooh. funny. Not it's based funny. around. Ah. <laughs> it's, it's, no, it's... it's a, <laughs> Shush. That is the jumps. best. I'm so. Speaking of comedy, <laughs> and why don't we start horrible death? That sounds like an outtake right there. <laughs> Steve, Steve, probably. I don't know if we ever showed this to Steve when I when I was in college. Our college newspaper and Steve, Steve worked for the humor newspaper. And and these people should have sent it to you. Maybe they did, but we got the. I got this book from a guy. He may have been a drifter. I don't know, but he had enough money to mail us this book. And <laughs> well, it would have fit right in with us. It, it was it was a book of comic strips, and what it was was there were peanut strips where he had replaced all the dialogue with yeah, penis absolutely nuts. filthy. Yes, it was called Penis Nuts, and <laughs> it was fantastic. It was called oh Penis God. Nuts. <laughs> yes, the, he did indeed drop it by, and I, I think we Good. decided that. Uh, we would be sued into oblivion if we tried to print them yes. without at least trying to redraw them. It was it was the brilliant, characters. brilliant in its way and just horrible, oh, utterly foul, filthy. just oh, completely oh filthy. My God. It's like the nineteen twenties uh, sexy comics with with Disney characters, right? But he had not touched oh, right. up the the, uh, the the pictures in any way. He had no, just no. taken shots of like uh, you know Lucy grabbing or like Linus grabbing Lucy around the. The, the legs and uh, trying to get his blanket back, but of course he had replaced his <laughs> captions with something a little more Ooh, saucy. My. Yeah, brilliant. I'm glad. I'm glad you remember that. Steve. Yeah, it was it's good work. If me. if uh, if I actually think I still have that in my box of filthy things <laughs> at home. So <laughs> box of filthy things is that labeled military research? <laughs> we it may have to post be. it now that nobody cares about being sued <clears throat> into oblivion on the internet. A, uh, a former boyfriend of my wife, uh, his filthy things were labeled military research because nice. no one ever opened that box. Sure. Why would you? <laughs> Except military historians who have Sar- been visiting. Sarin gas, yes. <laughs> I just put filthy things on mine. I figure filthy if anybody things. really wants to dig in, then more power to them. <laughs> sure. When you got when you got uh, adolescence, you know they'll go right to it. And you have been warned, yeah. basically, is what that says. <laughs>